everyone. Welcome back to the Cozy Girls podcast. This is episode number two, second full-length official episode, and I am Amy. I want to start off by apologising because this is going up very late, like several days later than I intended. That's because, to be honest, I've had a really, really difficult few days, a really difficult week or two or three. Yeah, things are quite tough me right now, which maybe I'll talk about in a bit more detail another time. This episode is late. It's also quite heavy because I talked to my best friend Chloe. Some of you may know her if you watched our videos that we did on the Cozy Girls YouTube channel a year ago. She is wonderful. I love her with all my heart, but she has had a very difficult time with mental illness. So in this episode, I really wanted to talk to her about her experiences with borderline personality disorder. I think it's something that's not talked about enough in the mental health awareness landscape. It maybe gets sidelined because people focus on much more common or more commonly understood conditions like anxiety and depression. So I really, really wanted to get some information from her and her take on what living with BPD is like. This is very much the Chloe show. You won't hear me talking much. That's for a reason. I just really wanted to let her speak. And I tried not to over edit because it was really long. We actually spoke for three hours. The second part is all about self-care, which will be up soon-ish. <laughs> Depends how long it takes me to um, edit that. But this is all about BPD. Really wanted to let her speak for herself. I hope you find it informative, educational, helpful. There has to be a content warning that we do talk about mental illness, obviously. We also talk about things like suicide, suicidal thoughts, self-harm, eating disorders, drug addiction. It's heavy. So if you're likely to be triggered by any of those things, please look after yourself. There'll be information about helplines and resources at the end of the episode and also in whatever description box you have wherever you're listening to this so please consult that if you feel like you need it or you'll find it helpful so I'm gonna do like a little intro to this on my own you go girl by all means when we finish so I know what we're actually introing you know yeah yeah I get you it's like writing an essay isn't it you do the intro at the end do you know what I have a wise tip essay writing pray tell I mean we've done uni so we're never gonna have to do this again but I'll tell you anyway write your essay print it take the first page crumple it up throw it away <gasps> start at the top of the second page that's your essay trust me what yeah because I literally have never written anything good in the first page it always starts like as far back as history spans <laughs> something 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 and it's like nobody cares about that bit they want the hard facts that always starts in the second page so yeah if you ever have to write an essay trust me just do that maybe if I had done that I would have graduated <laughs> well maybe if you hadn't had ADHD and not known about it that would have helped as well mm -hmm. okay let's get into this wait can I just ask a question am I allowed to swear I would try to avoid although I have done already and I'm worried that iTunes are going to tell me off because I submitted the podcast as non-explicit oh my god you're so naughty and it actually is so I'm worried that one day I'm not gonna someone's say gonna like the c me. word but you know what I'm like yeah well I might just try and change my settings to just make it explicit yeah I think you'll get more more saucy listeners oh, if yeah, it's explicit because people will be intrigued as to what yeah. kind of shenanigans are yeah. going down. 
I wanted to talk to you about your mental health story, but mm-hmm. more specifically your experience with borderline personality disorder, because I think mm-hmm. it's something that is not talked about enough. People don't really understand it. I probably don't even understand a lot of it. Yeah. And yeah. it's something that affects a lot of people, young women in particular, as far as I yeah. know. Yeah, exactly. So I think it would be important to share the knowledge so that people can be more aware and more understanding if they know people that have it or just to be able to recognize behaviors and patterns that maybe seem really terrible but it's not people's fault Mm -hmm. or to kind of maybe recognize it inside themselves so that then they can try and find appropriate treatment or just be a bit more aware of what's going on in their own brains yeah definitely I think that's all cool I will try to shed some light on it as best as I can but I would just like to do like a slight disclaimer before I say anything which is like I'm not an authority in any other way than I am a person with a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder I'm not a psychiatrist I'm not a psychologist everything I know I know from either experience or me reading about it, or me talking to doctors about it. If people who listen to this don't agree with what I have to say, whether they don't have it, or whether they do have it, and their experience of it is just different from mine, that is totally fine. I'm really not trying to speak for everyone. With that being said, let's get into it. Okay, before we get into all of that, for the people who might be new, or for for the people at the back of the class who haven't (laughs) been paying attention, so... Chloe and I used to make videos. Chloe is literally the OG cozy girl. Like I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for her and our little (laughs) video escapades a year or so ago. I guess we should talk about how we know each other, a little bit of background context before we get into like your deep dark secrets, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, do you want me to tell the story about you stalking me on the internet or should I leave that bit out? No, go go for it. (laughs) Very real and authentic. Real life. If you are over the age of about 22, you'll probably remember an archaic relic of the internet called MySpace. Me and Amy, you know, we were keen on the old MySpace. Amy and I did not know each other, or so I thought. Amy knew me. I guess we probably had mutual friends, and Amy was like quite... She's always been a good internet lurker, I mean that as a compliment. And she like sourced me out on MySpace, and for some reason thought I was cool. Uh, What did you call me? A cool emo, I believe were your words. (laughs) It's just like the best compliment anyone's ever given me, really. This, This is where the story gets hazy for me, because she says we were friends on MySpace. Now... I was not popular on MySpace. I'm not trying to diss you here, Amy, but I kind of don't really remember you from it. And that's hard to believe because you're quite buff. So like, (laughs) you know. Anyway, we were friends on MySpace. MySpace died. Amy followed me over to Twitter. And I don't really know when I followed you back. Was it was it quickly? Like, did, did you follow me and then I followed you back the same day? Or, like, did it take a while? I don't know, How did Chloe. It go down? I didn't, like, make a note in my calendar <laughs> the day Chloe Camp finally <laughs> acknowledged my existence. How dare you? You should make a note. I have a book of everything special that we do. No, I don't really. I should, though. So, anyway, yeah, we got talking on Twitter eventually. You know, the romance just blossomed from there, man. What can I say? Like, we just got on really well on the internet and we were like bbming each other a lot like all the time we met in real life at a wu-tang gig in like august 2010 and i was like 
very thrilled. I, I kind of cringe, but I kind of think it's amazing because at the end of the night, we made her boyfriend and my other friend go and like stand on the side of the road while we took <laughs> selfies together to solidify our friendship. And we've like been besties now for like how long? Like seven years. Oh, it's nearly our anniversary. Just go on YouTube and type in Cozy Girls, Cozy with a Z as with this podcast. Yeah, and you can see some videos that Chloe and I did before. We did a really Oh my funny... God, the no mirror makeup yes. challenge. No mirror makeup challenge so is hard. a classic. We did loads of stuff like skincare, beauty videos, one about like social anxiety, one about body image. Like We've talked about lots of things before. So if you haven't already seen them, you should go and check it out. I wanted to bring Chloe back in on this and hopefully we'll do like more of these in future because I really yeah we could do like little I could like pop in from time to time yeah whenever you want because you are the original cozy girl so this is your house (laughs) but I wanted to talk to you today about BPD I know that you have been doing some like introspective reflection recently about your own mental health as with all mental health conditions and illnesses it's never a straight line for recovery things will get worse and then they get better and then they'll probably get worse again and then they get better and you're always trying to grow and improve and recover but it's not always a straight Progress line. Progress isn't a straight line, yeah. no way. Yeah, that's so, so true. I know that you have been having quite a hard time recently. So this isn't going to be like a how to get better 101, but that's not what this is. But I thought the BPD thing in particular was super interesting and just different from Mm -hmm. what people talk about all the time which for good reason because they're very common conditions that affect a lot of people like depression and anxiety disorders but I think certain things like bipolar or psychosis or schizoaffective disorders or anything like that as well as borderline personality are things that affect so many people and they probably have far more stigma attached to them than depression and anxiety and when we talk about like mental health awareness and understanding that is not like a one-size-fits-all someone with depression will have a completely different experience of existing in the world to someone who has a borderline personality disorder or another mental health condition so I think it's really valuable to have people who have different experiences and different brains talk about their experiences because it's like a rich tapestry out here of mental health yeah I don't have the exact percentages to hand but it's something like I think two percent of the general population have borderline personality disorder that's really high in hospitals I think the rate of outpatients is something around 10% and inpatients is like 15 to 20 I think I read okay so it's not like by any means a small number of people it's not a huge number but people do have this problem I think it's also really important to just make very clear that even though maybe you haven't really heard about it before or whatever it's a super serious thing to have it and I I do want to just say like trigger warning here like I am going to talk about some things that people might find upsetting gonna mention suicide now hope that's okay but the the suicide rate of people with borderline personality disorder is 10 to 15 percent 
the attempted suicide rate is much, much, much higher. It is an illness that kills people. Like, there's no two ways about it. And because of that, I think it's very important that people start talking about it. Unfortunately, from my experience, what I've found is that the people who are talking about it at the moment, for the most part, tend to have a kind of one-sided view of it that paints it in a not very good light. And that's not all there is to it. Should I talk a bit about like what the criteria or the the things associated with it are? Is that helpful? Yeah, I think we should just break it down like back to basics for people who have never heard of this or people who might have some understanding, but maybe it's misinformed. Just what is borderline personality disorder? How does it generally manifest in terms of behaviors Mm -hmm. or symptoms? Before we get into your personal experience, just a kind of general like glossary, you know? Yeah, okay. Borderline personality disorder, it's a mental illness with a slightly misleading name. The name borderline personality disorder originated because the guy who came up with it defined the condition as the borderline between psychosis and neurosis. That's not actually strictly true or particularly accurate. These days, a lot of mental health professionals particularly are beginning to use the term emotionally unstable personality disorder, EUPD, which is a better way of summing it up. Some people also like to call it EID, which is emotional intensity disorder. It's quite a broad term in that it covers a lot of symptoms and not every person who has it is going to have every symptom because there are so many of them. I'll try to like remember all the ones that I can. If I leave any out, probably just Google it. Maybe don't go on Wikipedia because I don't know if their definition is up to date. There should be online information from the DSM-5, which is like the um, psychiatrist Bible, basically, where it will tell you all the criteria. It is often characterized by a very strong fear of abandonment, particularly a difficulty with feeling that you have like a strong or fixed identity. What I mean by that is sort of an unstable self-image. So you might feel like you don't really know who you are. You feel kind of empty a lot of the time. You dissociate a lot, stuff like that. But also relating to identity, you can be very unstable in ideas about your values and sort of goals in life, things you want to do. Uh, You might change career plans a lot, things like that, because you find it hard to pin down the essence of who you are, if that makes sense. I hope I'm conveying this properly. The abandonment thing is huge. Loads of people who have it feel quite frantic, really, when they feel that somebody is leaving them. And will, you know, often do things like literally stand in the doorway and not let someone leave or text them 500 times or whatever. A lot of people don't go to that extreme. It's a spectrum. That's one end of the spectrum. It often is marked by a series usually of very volatile and usually very intense relationships with other people. It could be with, you know, romantic partners, or it could just be with friends, sometimes with family. Like you find it hard, or sorry, I find it hard to maintain stable relationships. Usually something that really comes into that is black and white thinking, okay? Or this is also known as splitting, which is when you either think someone or something is like amazing, 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 best thing ever, totally idealize it, 
can't see a single fault with it. Or you flip to completely the other end of the spectrum and think they're literally the worst person ever. It's literally the worst thing ever. You have nothing good to say about it. You feel terrible. Like you might feel very angry towards that person or whatever, but you have only negative feelings. And it's very hard for people who have borderline or whatever you feel comfortable calling it to kind of remember or understand that there's a gray area in between the black and white. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. For me, that's a huge one. And it always has been, I would say almost all of the time, people who have it are emotionally unstable. For me, the way I would describe it is I feel everything on 100 million. Like if I'm sad, I feel like I'm the saddest I have ever been in my whole life. But then if I'm happy, I'm the happiest I've ever been. If I'm anxious, I'm the most anxious I've ever been. And like every mood, every feeling is magnified by a million. It's not that people with this problem feel emotions that other people don't feel. It's just that they feel them much, 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 much bigger. And when they do feel them, it takes them a lot longer to come back down to a baseline of stable mood. For a person who doesn't have it, they might feel upset that someone shouted at them on the bus, say, for example. But then, you know, half an hour later, they're fine and they've forgotten about it and whatever. Someone with borderline might be extremely upset about it. And that even goes as far as becoming suicidal in the worst case scenario, just being like extremely emotionally distressed. And also that level of distress will stay more elevated for longer. Which leads me on to another point, which is often people who have borderline personality disorder have recurrent suicidal behavior, suicidal ideation, uh, often self-harm. That's really common, super common. A point that I feel is a bit controversial is I believe in the DSM-5 criteria, it says people who have PPD struggle with intimacy, which I've kind of covered earlier in terms of volatile relationships, but also don't have empathy or not don't have empathy, but have compromised empathy. My belief is that that's not accurate because it fails to recognize that there are two different types of empathy. As far as I remember, there's affective empathy, which is like the same thing as emotional empathy. And then there's cognitive empathy. Affective empathy is being able to sense other what other people are feeling. So for example, you might watch something on the news and become incredibly upset because you are feeling what the person who's distressed on the news is feeling. So that's effective empathy. But then there's cognitive empathy, which is like, I think sometimes people call it perspective taking, like being able to more consciously take on someone else's psychological mind state and be able to understand why they are in that state. So basically, people with borderline often have a much higher level of affective or emotional empathy, but a very low cognitive empathy. Someone might walk into the room and you instantly feel incredibly upset before they even say anything often for me, just because they're upset. But you might find it hard as someone with borderline to understand why they're in that state. Does that make sense? Yeah, so you're like a sponge for people's I'm feelings. I'm like a sponge, for sure. Like I say to my therapist all the time, I'm like a, like a sponge. And, you know, that's it's good in many ways because you can relate to people a lot. But it's also just quite um, hard. Sometimes people say that people with borderline are people without an emotional skin which I think is quite a good way of putting it. Everything that comes at me, I feel like it wounds me. Like I 
I'm like internally wounded and like I'm going to bleed to death. But for most people, it would just be like a minor scratch and whatever the thing is like bounces off them. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, I do get that. I guess my question is a lot of the things you're saying yeah I can relate to yeah in a way where it's like I don't know how much of this is just someone being an emotional person that sounds really dismissive I don't mean it no I get you I get you do you know what I mean like even some of the things you said about people being quite flighty or changeable the abandonment stuff I feel like that's common for a lot of people not to the same scale but I Mm -hmm. think a lot of those things are quite normal human things so how best can you you explain the impact it has on your life because maybe some people are listening to this and they might be thinking wow I identify with that I feel like I can mm-hmm. see myself in that but when do you know when to actually explore whether this is a diagnosis for you or how do you know when it's something that is not just someone being a bit emotional I would say that it's when the things that I've just talked about are impacting your life to the point that it feels to some degree unlivable. Like yeah. those things become an impairment. Okay. Of course, if anyone listening wants to harm themselves or has patterns of self-harm or suicidal thoughts, of course, of course, no matter what your other thoughts or feelings are, you need to seek help. Mm-hmm, definitely. Before that, or aside from that, if people are relating to some of the other things you talked about without it already being that extreme, yeah how would you know nothing as far as I can tell from what I've read and from speaking to other people in groups that I've been to who also have borderline nothing that any of us feels is something that nobody else who doesn't have it feels it's just the scale to which it it's blown up yeah so people who have borderline are basically just super 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 sensitive and have poor emotional regulation to the point that their life becomes very fucking difficult it also often leads to stuff like kind of risk taking and impulsivity like that's in terms of behaviors if you want to look at behaviors so a lot of people who have it are compulsive spenders have eating disorders you know drive very dangerously self-harm obviously and stuff like that when they are emotionally distressed uh, which is a lot of the time like i'm very emotionally distressed a lot of the time if you do get emotionally upset and you're a sensitive person but you're not sure if this applies to you look more at the behaviors Mm. because that can be very telling like if when you're distressed you feel a need to to act quite recklessly (laughs) I always think of it as like filling the screaming void basically so if I feel upset about anything I have to do something straight away to silence the like screaming child that is in me that feels like it's going to die Like every big feeling makes me feel like I'm going to die. That sounds ridiculous, probably. But when I get to that point, I almost always turn to like a fairly unhealthy coping mechanism to try and deal with it. And that is often a thing that a lot of people with this personality disorder experience. So maybe if you're having extreme emotions, but you don't particularly find yourself responding to it in an unhelpful and dangerous way that would be something to consider as opposed to someone who does engage in things that are quite harmful as a response to emotional distress basically yeah it's just really hard especially when a lot of these conditions have comorbidities with yeah other mental health conditions I have just been recently recently diagnosed with 
ADHD, which I'm not going to go into here because that's like for another time. But the problem with that is that I've also had a really long history of depression. So it's like, where does one thing end and the other begin? Or what is responsible for which behaviours? And how much of it is just me, me without all of this stuff? Especially with ADHD, and I imagine with borderline as well, to some degree, you read the list of criteria, a lot of people can relate to it on a certain level, because it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, those are just human traits. Oh, that's just being an adult. Even with depression, a lot of people feel very tired or struggle with sleep. There are things that tick boxes for a lot of people. It's like knowing, I don't know, I don't even know what I'm trying to get at. I get you, I get you. I imagine with borderline that it's very common for people with borderline borderline to have anxiety disorders or depression probably due to the borderline yeah in terms of treatment and like a plan of attack not even plan of attack that's quite dramatic but in terms of like coping mechanisms for day to day what do you try to tackle as like your first line you have kind of opened up the door to a conversation that's really interesting which is if you do have more than one mental health issue trying to identify your main problem really the problem which everything stems from is super important. This is also another topic, but I've had really bad problems with addiction for most of my adult life and some of my adolescent life. I tried to treat that before I tried to treat the borderline personality disorder and it did not work. Things just got so much worse. That was a big sign that I was treating the plant at the petals when I should be treating it at the root. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, definitely. It's hard to know. And obviously a professional is best qualified to make that call. With that being said, for me, the thing that defines whether or not what you're feeling is a normal reaction to being a human or a disorder or whatever you want to call it, a mental health problem, is the extent to which it impacts your life. So for me, I would say like at the moment and in recent months, my life is fairly unlivable without trying to sound like extremely dramatic because of the symptoms of borderline personality disorder basically interfering with every single day of my life. When things like that start happening and it's not just for like one day or when your interpersonal relationships, for example, become so difficult that you don't really have any or they're doing more harm than good that's when you have to start thinking like "Mm, maybe I do have a problem here like maybe this is something that I need to look into a bit more you know yeah definitely taking that how should people go about trying to explore this or obtain a diagnosis if if they feel that this is something that they identify with what is your story in terms of reaching a diagnosis and how have you felt since having that diagnosis has it helped you Or do you feel like it's opened up a whole other world of, I don't know, you know how sometimes diagnosis can be like a blessing and a curse? Because on the one hand, you feel validated and reassured because you're like, wow, this isn't just me being completely inept at life. There is potentially a structural or chemical issue in my brain that is making me like this. But then it's like, where do you go from there? Then you have to treat it. And that's very daunting. It's quite normal Um, to feel like ambivalent about it because on the one hand it's empowering, but then it's like, what do you do with that? You can sometimes feel overwhelmed by the label or the diagnosis itself. Maybe I should start with like a slight history lesson of me. I was diagnosed in probably about 2008 when I was like 18 by a psychiatrist. It explained a lot. 
often people mistake, you know, usual teenage angst for borderline personality disorder and vice versa. Sometimes it goes unspotted because parents might not think that a child is behaving abnormally. But my mum always says, looking back, now that I have the diagnosis, it explains a lot about why I was the way I was. When I first got my diagnosis, I did feel validated. I felt like, God, finally, there is actually a reason, a, a clinical, like documented reason that doctors have agreed is a thing for why I am the way I am. But that did not last long because something I realised very quickly is that BPD is an illness or whatever you want to call it that gets a very bad press. You know, like when people talk about like the crazy ex-girlfriend, they'll go, oh, yeah, she's got BPD. It might be that you'll get lumped into a group with like other conditions like psychopathy because they have no empathy as well. There are a lot of doctors, you know, professional psychiatrists who will not treat borderline because the outlook for it is to be honest, pretty bad. I just realised quite quickly that there are a lot of not so great things about having that diagnosis. And I think I became quite disillusioned with it for a while. I was slightly in denial and I was looking for other things that might explain what I had. Nothing I found summed up the specific things I was experiencing better than BPD. And eventually I was just like, okay, fine, like you win, I have it. Now, all those years later, like nine years later, I do definitely feel like having a diagnosis is a blessing and a curse, especially in the case of borderline, because unlike with a lot of mental illnesses or just a lot of illnesses in general, with borderline, there is no specific treatment, really. There are things you can do that will help, but it's not like as soon as you get the diagnosis, the cogs start whirring, the plan starts coming into action, you're going to do this, this and this. And then you'll be better. Like, it doesn't work like that. There is no, for example, one medication that treats borderline personality disorder. There is no one therapy that has been shown to be a cure. It's a bit like with addiction, how some people say, I'm still an addict, I'm just not on drugs. You can deal with the illness in a way that means that you can live your life. But at the end of the day, in my eyes, and people might disagree with this, you still might experience some of the stuff that comes with it yeah yeah I take medication I've you know tried lots and lots and lots of different medications over the years taking mood stabilizers has been quite helpful for me I've taken antidepressants which have helped at times and made it worse at times I have taken anti-anxiety drugs which again have made it worse at times and better at times what I'm saying is there is no proposed plan of action that doctors can go oh yes I'll just go in the filing cabinet and get the borderline cure out on the one hand, I'm glad that I have a diagnosis because it is validating, it explains a lot, and it means that I have a catch-all phrase that I can Google to learn more about it. You know, actually, it's especially helpful in explaining it to other people. Like, I could sit here and list my symptoms for hours to try and make you understand what it's like to, to be me and have this thing. But if I wrap it up in this neat bow of borderline personality disorder... That makes it easier for other people to understand to a degree. Some people still have like a bit of a twisted idea of what it is, but it cuts a long conversation short, basically. But I do also feel frustrated by it sometimes because there's not that much for me like that has come from having a diagnosis. Mm. I know that's different for a lot of people, but that's that's just my experience. 
God help me when I'm editing this because I feel like this is going to be very long. But that's okay because this Mm -hmm. is all really important. When you were talking just then, it made me think about how intertwined this can be with your identity and whether you think that having this label, this diagnosis actually enables you to behave in certain bad ways. I don't know. I was talking to my boyfriend the other day about how a diagnosis of depression, for example, as much as it's really, really important that people understand that depression is very real, very legitimate and does have a lot of symptoms that impact your daily life, of course, I think that for some people, you can be so validated by the diagnosis that it actually becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm just using depression as an example, and I'll let you talk about whether this even applies to BPD. But even from my experiences with depression, I use it as a reason or an excuse for some really bad behavior. Like if I say Mm -hmm. something horrible to someone, I'm like, it was depression talking, it wasn't me, which often is true. But even things like, I can't shower because I have depression. I can't do this. I can't do that. I am not achieving X, Y, Z because depression, which again is also true. But I think for a lot of people, it can become this kind of excuse, almost like a reason not to work on yourself because Mm -hmm. you think to yourself, well, I'm always going to be like this. It's not my fault. It's my brain which yes, is true. But do you think that for some people that can almost be hindering or like prevent people from taking steps to try and manage the illness? I don't know. Tell me if I'm being out of line because this is different. No, not at all. Like I am a big believer that there in a lot of cases of mental illness and the things that people do because of mental illness there can be reasons but they're not excuses it's not victimhood but it's like taking on this as part of your identity it's self-enabling basically it's letting yourself get away with things that it would be more helpful to call yourself out on yeah it's like it becomes your identity to be like a sick person or a mentally ill person that's part of who you are and Mm -hmm. it's it's very difficult to look beyond that sometimes and actually yeah call yourself out or interrogate why you're doing certain things what is really the illness and what is really just you being a dickhead you know because it's yeah. possible for people who are mentally ill to also just be nasty or, or yeah. do irresponsible things we're human and we're multifaceted it's not always the mental illness that is responsible for behaviors I don't know whether in your experience, it has been a kind of, well, I'm I'm this way because of BPD or I said this thing because of BPD and it's almost taking the accountability away sometimes. Yeah, I get you. People will disagree with me on this one, but to my mind, there is no excuse to be abusive to anyone. And in people who have BPD, they can sometimes exhibit abusive behaviors towards other people more than you know in the general population it is a bit of a gray area people think different things about it I think that you know abusing anyone is fairly inexcusable like I said it's reasons but not excuses I've done some really nasty things for example really shouted at my mum like horribly because I have been in like a fit of emotion that was so extreme that I could not control myself. 
that is, yeah, that's a symptom of the illness. But but does that make it excusable? No, not really. I'm very, I'm, yeah, deeply sorry and ashamed about that. The only way to be, you know, not a shitty person about it, basically, is to keep checking in with yourself and to, to the best of your ability, try to keep asking yourself if you have borderline or any of these disorders that cause you to act very strongly, especially towards other people. Keep asking yourself, is this is this what I want to put someone else through? But that also applies to you with yourself. Is what I'm doing actually helpful? Like, I don't think you're helping yourself, other people, situations, anything, if you're not realistic about when you're using your illness as an excuse and not a reason, if you get what I mean. I shouted at my mum. The reason was because I was in a fit of extreme anger. Like, I, I have problems with anger which are a result of the borderline thing. But is that an excuse for it? Does that make it okay? No, it doesn't. Like, it does not make it okay. I think also another thing that's really important if you do have borderline is just fucking learn to apologize. God, I used to be so bad at apologizing. Sometimes I still am. But it's something that I I do actually feel is so important. Like, God, there are so many things I'm sorry for. Like, so deeply sorry for, for, for things that I've said, for things that I've done. When I'm very upset, I say things that I don't mean. Obviously, I don't mean them. But the people who I'm saying them to don't know that. If you identify with that and that's something you relate to, Try to make a practice out of recognizing when you've said something that you didn't mean and when you've calmed down and you've had a minute to think about it, just apologize. I know you might feel like it's too hard to swallow your pride or whatever, but if you're already struggling in your relationships with people, don't make it even harder for yourself by being that dick that won't apologize. You know, like, do you get what I mean? Yeah. But also don't apologize just for existing, you know, like apologize when you've done wrong. Yeah, when you've seriously hurt someone in a way that was out of proportion to the actual incident, that's important. And also, yeah, recognizing when you've acted in a way that was out of proportion. Yeah, it's about being self-aware, isn't it? More than anything. Yeah, it's about being self-aware. People who have borderline quite often struggle with being self-aware. I know this sounds bad, but you have to keep like poking yourself and being like, are you being self-aware? Are you being self-aware? Did you hurt someone today? If so, should you apologize? For people like me who feel like they, to be honest, have never really been taught how to have that like healthy adult person inside of them, which is to the best of my knowledge how quite a lot of people with borderline feel, it's really important if you want to get better and if you don't want to identify as being a sick person all the time to just try anything you can to build up the the voice of like the healthy rational person inside you and that comes from doing small things like learning how to apologize like taking responsibility for your actions and not using your illness as this like self-enabling thing that allows you to be horrible to people whenever you want. And part of the reason why BPD gets a really bad press is because people with it are assumed to be manipulative, out of control, raging, horrible people, basically. And some of them are, but also some normal people are. And there are people who have this problem, like me, who desperately do want to become better, healthier better adapted people 
I hope I'm like conveying this in a way that will be helpful for people, you know. I think it anyway. will be. It's just making me wonder if I have BPD now, but I think that's just me being <laughs> like a do. hypochondriac. You like, prob- I mean, who, who am I to judge? But like, you would probably recognize it if anyone would, you know? Like, are you suicidal about tiny things on a daily basis? Like, tiny things, like putting the cheese grater in the sink, sink instead of the dishwasher? No. Well, but I am very emotional and needy. Yeah, but like, is it ruining your life? Maybe you should look into it, man. Like, I don't know, but. It's just one of those things where, like, I don't really see you as that person who is incapable of rationalizing illogical emotional thoughts. Yeah, I think. Do you I'm, get what I mean? Yeah, I think I'm a bit of an emotional sponge, but it's also like, I think I'm just empathetic. Yeah, you are. You are. After all of that, there's a couple of things. Number yeah. one, how best can people support their loved ones if they have BPD or if they haven't been formally diagnosed but they suspect that one of their loved ones has BPD and they want to make sure that they're being as mindful and supportive and understanding as possible like what are things that other people around you can do that help you not to feel quite so mad that is like the hardest question because I literally don't know how to help myself any of the Mm. time like people ask me what do you need right now therapists say that to me all the time what do you need right now I have literally never been able to answer that question at all I don't know what I need so it's hard for me to say how other people can respond to those needs when I don't know what they are or what other people might need communication especially just listening is like very 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 crucial it's oh, it's a really tough question um sorry you don't have to answer it doesn't need an answer like maybe the answer is that there's no solution I think it's important like I think maybe the first step if you know someone who has it or you just found out that someone you know has it or you suspect that someone you know has it is get some information about it like google it a bit and I'm not just talking about like what wikipedia says Wikipedia or uh, the DSM or any other like psychiatrist manuals can't tell you the lived experience of the people who have it. They're helpful to a point in terms of outlining symptoms or, you know, things that you might look out for or want to expect, but they don't tell you about what those symptoms are like in situations. Try and find blogs of people who have BPD. Reddit is quite good. There's a subreddit, a BPD subreddit. And then there's one called something to do with like people who support people with BPD or or carers of BPD. I, I don't know. You have to, it's somewhere on the BPD subreddit, it'll say. But those are like the experiences of real life, actual people who have it. And there's a lot of information to be, you know, garnered from those posts. I wouldn't say they're like the be all and end all, but it just might be helpful, like a helpful starting point. And sometimes people post useful articles and stuff on there as well. But beyond that, I I mean, I think information is super important, but listening is really key. A lot of the time, I don't think this applies to me that often, but I do, I do know of other people who especially if they you know live with a partner or you know family or whatever they will find the arguments very 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 bad like like really traumatizing for the person who has bpd because for people with bpd 
often arguing, arguments, stuff like that can kind of be re-traumatizing because it will remind you of the thing that originally traumatized you from, I don't know, your childhood or whatever. But also very traumatizing for the person who who doesn't have BPD because you will probably feel like you're seeing your your loved one, whoever it is, who has borderline, kind of transforming into a bit of a monster before your eyes. And that's scary. And um, I understand that. Like, I do, I do get that that's something that's really hard to deal with. I think it's really important to know if you are a carer of someone who's got BPD or just someone who's in close, close contact with someone who has it. The person who has it, if they're really angry, for example, they might not mean what they're saying. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes my anger, especially relating to certain topics that I find particularly hurtful, can tip over into like full scale rage, like uncontrollable rage. And I'm so not proud of that. Like I'm extremely ashamed of that, but I'm just going to be honest about it. It's not an attractive quality, I know. But just know that as someone who who is in a situation with someone who reacts like that sometimes, to a degree, like that person is acting in a way that doesn't necessarily properly represent them. My dad always says to me, like, isn't it weird how we usually um, treat people by the rule and not the exception? And what he what he always says by that is like, you know, if someone acts really nice 80 percent of the time and then acts really mean 20 percent of the time, They'll go, oh, I knew he was a bastard and he was just hiding it behind a facade of loveliness. Or completely vice versa, there will be someone who is literally a dick like 80% of the time and then nice 20% of the time. And you'll have people going, oh, I knew he was nice, really. Like, he's a teddy bear. Like, oh, he's soft on the inside, but hard shell on the outside. You Mm. just need to get to know him. Well, yeah, maybe your, your person who you know with BPD does act badly sometimes. That's inexcusable. I'm sorry that they act that way, and I'm sure they are too. But they're not usually trying to specifically wound you. You know when you see an animal and it's trapped in a snare and someone goes towards it, the first thing the animal does is try to bite the person, right? And that's kind of what it's like for someone who has BPD in an argument. It's like suddenly you're in incredible emotional pain that is completely overwhelming and you feel like you're going to die. Like, that is not an exaggeration. I feel like my heart is going to stop and I will die on the spot. My first response, if I'm angry, is to lash out at whoever is coming towards me. That's the best way I can explain it to anyone. So I think just, like, being aware that it's not cool. It's not like a premeditated crime a lot of the time, you know? It, it's it's just, it is what it is. And I think there are some, I don't know about in the UK, I think there might be a couple of support groups for carers of people with BPD. I know that in the US there are uh, support groups for families. Like, you know how um, with alcoholics and drug addicts and whatever, there are often support groups for the families. I don't think there's as much similar stuff for people around people who have BPD, but there are resources online, there are websites you can go on, forums, whatever, and I would say start there. Yeah, that was the second question I was going to ask you was about resources that you personally have found the most helpful. I know that there's no point you getting into detail around your medication and your therapy and stuff like that, because that is so individual. But in terms Mm -hmm. of educational resources, even things like helplines I was going to add a thing at the end about Samaritans and calm and stuff like that because I think that that's useful just for everyone to know 
BPD specifically, have there been any resources or even types of therapy if people are embarking on a journey to getting treatment that you have found particularly useful or helped you to make sense of, of what's going on in your own brain? There are some things, not as many as I would like. The thing that I recommend most highly is being open to any help that is thrown your way. The first time I ever did group therapy, I was in hospital at the time. I was like 20 and I hated it. I hated every single second of it. I would rather have my nails pulled out or I would have rather have my nails pulled out at the, at the time than like go to those sessions. And that left a really bad taste in my mouth. And I said, no, I'm never doing group therapy ever again. It took me a good six years, probably, or like maybe five years to go back on that and I realized that actually by writing off all group therapies, I was really shooting myself in the foot. The first time I went into the, into individual therapy, I was 10. I've been yeah in therapy for 17 years. I had a brief pause from it when I was about 23 or 24, probably. And I said, you know what? None of this shit's worked. I'm never doing it again. And I wrote that off too. I said, no way, not doing therapy. It's not for me. I'll do the medication bit. Eventually, I got extremely, extremely desperate. Things were terrible. And I gave in and I tried a new therapist. She's amazing. She is one of the most amazing people I have ever met in my whole life. She's the best ever. Shout out to Emily, if you're listening to this. Last year, I did a really good group called the STEPS program, which is S-T-E-P-P-S, which is specifically designed for people who are emotionally unstable so that was great and I just want you know like fuck it whatever I'll do it if it all if it has even like a five percent chance of working I'm desperate enough that I will do it please don't write things off just because you may have had a bad experience in the past or you're nervous about them I know this sounds so corny but I really really stick by the motto things change when you change things if you want to be stuck in the place you're in, don't change anything. That's fine, but that's on you. If you do want to change stuff or have the chance of changing stuff, you're going to have to do some things differently. Whether that's doing a group or doing group therapy or doing online therapy or doing family therapy or getting a self-help book and doing some of the stuff from that or doing some worksheets or like whatever it is. It's all hard it's, work. It's hard But that's the only way. Like, I don't know if any of you guys ever had a book called Going on a Bear Hunt when you were kids. But there was this book about, like, some kids going on a bear hunt. I think they came to, like, a swamp or something. And they went, we can't go over it. We can't go under it. We'll have to go through it. And I always think of that. It's true. Like, with things like this, you're not getting over it easily. You can't just go underneath it. You're going to have to go through it. It's going to be horrible. But it will also be extremely rewarding try to be at least somewhat open to the idea of medication definitely not saying you should go and take every medication that's thrown at you as somebody who was heavily addicted to prescription drugs for many years I would never recommend that but it is possible to safely and normally take medication yeah that will help you like that is possible I'm not saying it's definite but it's possible it's one of those things I can understand why a lot of people can be very reluctant to be medicated especially with something like this where it feels like you will have to be medicated for the rest of your life because it's Mm -hmm. not something that's likely to go away I think that either way 
you have to be open-minded. When I've had depression and I've taken SSRIs, they're not for me. I don't like yeah. them for me. I don't get on with them. But I'm not negating the fact that they do work for a lot of people and probably save lives. You have to just be open either way. And I think on the other side of the coin, I think you can't expect taking a pill to fix all your problems ever. Yeah, like for yeah, anything. For sure. I mean, yes, for like, I don't know, if you have an infection and you take an antibiotic, it might make the infection go away. But in terms of brain stuff... It's highly unlikely that just popping a pill is going to address your issues. And it's hard work to like interrogate this stuff in yourself. And people are willing to put in work for other things that they want. If you want to earn money, people are willing to work for that. If you want your body to change in a certain way, a lot of people are willing to put in the work for that, like diet and exercise if they want to lose weight. And you have to just treat it as like any other thing that you are willing to work hard for or or take the steps that you have to take to make changes. The painful truth of it is that some people have to work harder than others to be happy. Yeah. That's a pain in the ass. Like, I'm not going to deny it. That's fucking shit for those of us who do have to work really hard. Having said that, just because the, the uphill bit is really hard doesn't mean that the view at the top is any less good or worthy or whatever. I also think that with BPD specifically, which I probably should have mentioned this at the beginning about causes and whatever, causes of BPD are a bit of a hazy subject. But most people agree that it is a combination of nature and nurture. So there may be some level of predisposition to it, but it's also very much centered around the idea of you uh, having had needs, whatever they might have been, physical, emotional, whatever, in your childhood that were not met for whatever reason. And obviously, like you just said, taking a pill is not going to fix that. You can debate me on this, that's fine. But to my mind, probably the best course of action for most people with this problem is going to be almost certainly some form of therapy, possibly in addition to that medication that may be very helpful. I read an article the other day actually about how some psychiatrists are starting to think that borderline and another type of mental illness called complex post-traumatic stress disorder are very, very similar. I probably should have mentioned this at the beginning, but people who have been exposed to trauma as children, emotional trauma, physical trauma, are you know often very deeply affected by it. When we think of post-traumatic stress disorder, we usually think of someone who was in a war and they have terrible flashbacks of it or someone who is in a tsunami or something like that like one event Mm. with complex post-traumatic stress disorder and BPD it can often be sustained trauma so not necessarily one event or one series of events but trauma that's dragged out over months years sometimes decades it doesn't seem to me that it would be possible to treat something that has such a sort of deep-rooted nature through taking a tablet. Don't be discouraged by that. Don't think, oh, like, I'm fucked because there's no pill that's a cure. That's not the case. Just be realistic without wanting to get too, like, intensely personal. There are things from when I was a kid 
that definitely not going to go away overnight or from a pill because they went on for years. It's stuff that, like, I'm not kidding, literally will come back to me when I'm lying in bed at night and has done, you know, since those things happened. So for me to assume that that's going to be fixed quickly or easily would be setting the bar a bit high, I think, really, which is a shame, but that's how it is. Mm. Another thing I think we need to address is that with everything therapy and treatment is all well and good but there are a lot of barriers in the way for people yes, to for access sure. that like I'm super lucky super super lucky in that I have been able to get the help that I need almost entirely through the NHS that's a huge blessing like that's amazing obviously I know that that's not the case for everyone and I'm so sorry that it's not the case for mm, everyone it's really really sad with everything big up the NHS I will never ever diss the NHS unfortunately they are under so much pressure and it's governments that set priorities and funding and sadly mental health provisions are awful almost across the board and it's not just in the UK we're speaking from our experiences but obviously if you're listening from the US that's a whole other bag of I was gonna say bag of fish but that's not what I mean (laughs) I mean kettle of fish it's true like Like resources are so stretched help yeah you know that's also another reason why I say if the help is on offer take it because it might not be on offer forever but I would say that if you are unable to get that kind of help or you feel that you're not particularly ready for that yet there are books that you can read about borderline there are self-help books that are really good there are types of therapy you can read about online I think you can get a pdf of the you know, I was just speaking about the STEPS program that I did. I think somewhere online I've seen a PDF of the entire program. It's a 20-week program. DBT workbooks are great. That's dialectical behavior therapy. A lot of people have heard of CBT, but DBT is actually one of the treatments that's shown to be, like, much more effective for VPD than other treatments. There are some things called the DBT workbook for, and then insert condition name here, so... I've got the one, I've got the one for bipolar, even though I no longer have that diagnosis, but that's another story. I've got one for bulimia, I've got one for anxiety, but they have them for all sorts of things that I'm almost certain there's one for borderline. Like, I'm almost sure there will be because DBT is very effective for borderline. If I find all of this stuff or anything that Chloe mentions, and Chloe, you can send me a list of stuff later if you want, and I will put links wherever I can find them in the description for this so hopefully that should point people in the right direction make it a bit easier with regard to what I just said about the nature of the relationship between trauma and BPD if you have in your mind a clear image of the type of trauma that you think may have contributed to you having BPD then don't be as general as to just seek out you know self-help books that are about BPD Find ones that are specifically about that type of trauma. So whatever it is, like it could be if you're really bullied at school or whatever, there will be a self-help book for that. So I think that's another thing. Like you can you can approach it from different angles, if you know what I mean. To some extent, it's good to become part of online communities and things like that, but to not get too caught up in it. Like it's it's a bit of a fine line. Uh, I don't post on Reddit, but I sometimes just read bits of it because I find it interesting. I don't, I'm not like one of those Reddit obsessives who's like super into it, but just sometimes I find it helpful. If you think you could use that as like a resource, then, you know, give it a try. 
if you are thinking about taking medication, definitely, 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 and I don't care how many other medications you've taken, whether it's for physical or mental things, please research the medication you're taking before you take it. You know, like when you get your medication, I don't know if this is the same in America, but when you get it in the UK, they give you a little leaflet about it. Please just read the whole leaflet. Like I know it's boring and I know it sounds dumb. And it's like when someone tells you to do a patch test before you dye your hair and you don't do it. The truth is most medications do have some type of side effects. You also need to know stuff like how long is the half-life of the medication you're taking? What are the different dosages of the medication you're taking? Like just be informed. I think it's good to be involved, involved in your own treatment. That's what I'm saying. Like having some guy in like a white coat just throw drugs at you is at the end of the day probably not always going to be helpful you know do you have anything else that the people need to know before we delve into the wonderful world of self-care which they can (laughs) listen to a week after they listen to this because it's too much it's too much for one chat but it's all very it's too real it's too real right now is there anything else that you think people should I don't know just take away from this really like if you had to sum it up how can people understand BPD more or what do you want people to take from this whether they identify with it themselves or if they need to be more mindful about people around them with it the easiest way I can put it is if you have BPD you're not just mad bad and sad if you know someone who has BPD, they're not just mad, bad and sad. There's so much more to it. And just because a person has a diagnosis doesn't mean they are the diagnosis. It's the, like the difference between being a handbag and carrying a handbag, you know. For a long time, I thought I was the handbag. I defined myself by I am the handbag. I am the illness. It's only been quite, well, relatively recently, you know, in the history of my diagnosis that I've realized that I'm actually not the handbag. I'm just carrying it. And It will take practice, but I'll learn how to put it down for hopefully extended periods of time after a while. It's hard. It's quite horrible. At the moment, I am really not loving having BPD at all. I feel like it is, you know, it's more than just a daily struggle for me personally at the moment. It's like it's an hourly struggle. It's a minutely struggle. If you're in the same boat, I respect you so much for still being here. If you are trying to help someone who's in that boat, I respect you so much for trying to help them. And that's kind of it, really. I really hope this has just been some small spark of information, like in the great big dark vastness that is mental health problems. If anyone has any like questions or whatever, feel free to like slide into my DMs on the gram. I don't get many people sliding into my DMs with like mental health problems. Other things that I would rather not see, yes. (laughs) You know, with this stuff, I'm happy to talk about it with whoever and answer any questions, whatever, anything that I haven't covered. My Instagram is just at Chloe V Camp. So if you need anything answered, I will do my best to do that there. The people can't find you on Twitter because you left us abandoned. Us. Yeah, man. Oh, it's not about that Twitter life anymore. OK, fair enough. They can find you on the gram. I really want to thank Chloe for speaking with me and being really brave and really open and honest about her experience. It's never an easy thing to talk about your own mental health. So thank you so much, Chloe. You can find Chloe at Chloe V Camp on Instagram, as she mentioned, and she'll definitely be back talking to me about self-care and other stuff soon. 
I will put all the resources that she's mentioned in the description wherever you're listening to this. And it's also really, really important to mention that there are lots of helplines and other resources out there. Whether you have BPD or any other kind of mental illness, if you're ever having any kind of suicidal thoughts, ideations, uh, want to harm yourself or others, good people to call are Samaritans. You can get them on 116-123 if you're in the UK. I hope that you found that somewhat educational and helpful. It was a long one, but I think it's important that it was long and thorough. You can find me at Cozy Girls Club on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. You can listen to this on SoundCloud, on the Apple Podcast app, on Stitcher and on Acast, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. If you are listening to us on an app that has a review or rating section and you enjoyed this, I would really, really appreciate it if you left a good review and some nice comments. It really helps me to know if people are actually listening to this and enjoying it and it encourages me to do more. So there will be a new episode soon, hopefully to try and make up for the tardiness on this one. Please email me amy, A-M-Y, at cozygirls.club if you have any questions, comments, suggestions for future topics or guests. All right, keep it cosy. And please remember to look after yourselves and ask for help if you need it. That's what people are there for.